Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God and it contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, it contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. It also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Good morning. Welcome back to Know Your Bible. Glad you're here this morning. Glad you're ready to study the Bible with us. And we've got a number of good questions uh, studied up and ready to go here. If you're watching for the first time, you may wonder, what are these guys doing? Uh, we're going to answer Bible questions. We're going to answer your Bible question. Uh, there's a phone number and a website at the bottom of the screen. You can use those anytime to get in touch with us. If you've always wondered about something in the Bible or you've heard some doctrine or some story and you wonder, is that really in the Bible? We'd be happy to try to answer that for you. Uh, maybe there's something going on in your life that you wonder, boy, I wonder what God would have me do in this situation. Uh, we'll try to find you a Bible verse or two that uh, gives you a little advice on some of those things. So basically we want folks to know their Bible a little bit better and we're here to help you by answering your questions. So that's what we do. Use the phone number, website anytime and we'll put it on the list and get to it as quickly as we can. When I say we, I mean uh, me and Toby Levering. Good morning, Toby. Good morning, Steve. Glad you're here and studied up and ready to go. Uh, got some good ones this week, and uh, we always start with one for our viewing audience. Let them practice a little Bible knowledge. Uh, the son of Adam who replaced Abel. Abel died, of course. His brother killed him, and uh, Adam and Eve had another son to replace him. What was his name? And we'll give you the answer to that at the end of the program. See if you know that little bit of Bible information. Looks like I drew the first question today, so let me get started. What does the Bible teach about predestination? Well, some people, and there are some verses that kind of sound like it, uh, that God has predestined that this is going to happen or that's going to happen. Um, and it's a little hard to explain in, in some ways. Uh, because we're dealing with the way God operates, which is hard for humans to explain. But there's a, three very clear, I think, doctrines in the Bible or teachings that if we understand them, then we can kind of wrestle around with predestination. Uh, number one is humans have free will. God created us that way. Uh, it was necessary if we were to really choose to have a relationship with Him and love Him. Uh, we have to be able to choose that. So we've got free will, the freedom of choice. Uh, so we're not predestined to do everything we do. We get to choose what to do. Now, second thing that's absolutely true is that God has foreknowledge. Uh, God sees without the constraints of time. He knows what's going to happen. Uh, just because he's God and he knows. Now, it doesn't mean he makes it happen, but he does know what's going to happen. And there's a difference between knowing foreknowledge and foreordination. Okay? So he does foreknow things. Uh, we have free will, I already said. And then the third one is God's sovereign. Uh, what God wants to happen is going to happen. Now, some people take pieces of that and say, okay, God predestines everything. We got no choice. 
Uh, if he wants you to be saved, he's going to save you. Uh, if he wants you to die tomorrow, you're going to die tomorrow. Well, you have free will. You can go out and walk in front of a car if you want to. Uh, be act careless and die because of it. Uh, he has foreknowledge and he's sovereign. You put all those together and you start to get a picture of what the Bible says about predestination. Now explaining it perfectly, like I said, is hard. Um, the way I kind of wrestle with it in my mind or try to explain it to myself uh, is an illustration of a chess player, a chess master, a grandmaster that's so much better than anybody else in the world uh, that he can sit down and play and let you make any move you want. You've got free will, uh, but he's going to win. And the way he does that is he reacts to your moves uh, in a way that he will win. His will will prevail because he's that much better than everybody. Now, on a 64 square chessboard, that's kind of silly. But if you multiply that by a gazillion times, that's the world. All of us are making our moves. Uh, God's final will is going to be become true, and He knows <laughs> how things are going to come out, but He doesn't make us make them come out that way. So, I don't know if that helps any. That's kind of a poor man's summary of what the Bible says about predestination. So, I hope that helps a little bit. Okay. A <laughs> uh, uh, viewer wants to know, please give me some information about Cain and Abel. Okay. Well, uh, as you are studying through your Bible, you want to go to Genesis chapter 4. Well, that, that gives us the most amount of detail about Cain and Abel. And we don't have that on the screen for you, but you can turn there in your Bible at home and read through it very quickly. They were the first, uh, uh, of course, uh, Cain was the first, and Abel were the first human beings that were born naturally. Their parents, Adam and Eve, were created directly by God. Uh, but uh, Cain and Abel were the first children born uh, by the flesh. And so uh, that's kind of an interesting fact. As you read through there, you'll see that Abel was a shepherd, uh, that he kept the <coughs> flocks and the herds, and Cain was a farmer. He were, was a worker of the soil. And there's a, a story in there about how they both brought offerings to the Lord. Cain, uh, Abel's offering was some of the firstborn from his flock, and that pleased God. And uh, Cain's offering was some of, some of the fruits of the soil, and that did not please God. And, uh, I actually have a, a question about that here in just a minute, which we'll get to, but uh, that's the story. Cain got very angry, and he let sin into his heart, and it over, overtook his heart, and he murdered his brother. It's a very sad story, the first murder in the Bible. Um, but So then God punished Cain by driving him out of the land and making him a restless wanderer on the earth. And so he left... Uh, that land and settled in the land of Nod and built a city there. The Bible doesn't really say much more about Cain, uh, but we do read of him in 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 through 12, a lesson that we can take from his life. And that scripture says, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was the evil one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil. And his brothers were righteous. So a, a simple lesson from the New Testament, uh, taking from this uh, very dysfunctional relationship between two brothers and what, what eventually led to murder, and using that to say we ought to do the opposite of Cain. We ought to instead love our brother and look for his good. 
And so uh, I have another question we'll get to in just a minute, but that's where you can find the most information about Cain and Abel in Genesis chapter 4. All right. Yeah, you get the Abel-Cain questions today, so we'll, we'll get to that in a moment. Mm-hmm. But first, uh, we've got one viewer wants to know, well, what does baptized for the dead mean in 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty nine? And my first thought on this question was, I'll give that one to Toby. <laughs> Let him ramble around about it. Uh, but I decided I'd answer it, and my answer to that is, I wish I knew. Uh, I'm not sh- well. I'm not sure, but I don't think anybody knows what that verse means exactly. Uh, you can pick up almost any Bible commentary. Some of the greatest scholars ever uh, that wrote about. 1 Corinthians, and when you get to this one, almost all of them will say, this is a really hard verse. Uh, Some of them will say, this is the hardest verse in the Bible. In fact, I read one one time, somebody had counted up the number of different theories that people had come up with to try to explain this verse. I mean, there were dozens and dozens. Uh, The reason it's so hard is because we don't know what Paul's talking about. It's not mentioned anywhere else. Uh, We don't even have any real secular history that tells us anything about a practice like this. The Bible certainly doesn't condone or teach uh, anything else about it. In fact, it condemns it. It teaches something opposite, actually. Uh, So we don't know what Paul meant. Let's read the verse together, and uh, we won't spend much more time on it, because I already told you I can't answer it. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 29, Paul's talking about resurrection in this context, which is important. And he says, otherwise, uh, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? So it sounds like somebody was being baptized for a dead person. Some people say, no, it means people were being baptized for when they're dead. Uh, That's the purpose of baptism. So you'll be saved when you're dead. But like I said, we don't know. probably uh, there were some people doing this practice. They were wrong, but they were thinking that, well, we can be baptized for the dead. Now, it sounds a little strange to us, but people do that today. Uh, There's one religion that takes this verse and teaches that as a practice, and they do it today. So no reason people shouldn't have been wrong in the first century in doing it. Paul's not talking about that. His argument is that the dead are going to be raised. Some people were teaching there wouldn't be a resurrection. And as one of his examples, he said, well, if there's no resurrection, why are these people doing that? Uh, he didn't say it was right or that he endorsed it or anything else. So uh, bottom line, we don't know exactly what he was talking about. The Bible does teach the opposite of that. It says it is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. There's no condition in between there where somebody can be baptized for you or can pray you out of the situation you're in or anything. When you're dead, it's settled. Uh, Then you're going to face judgment for how you lived this life. So we know the practice of being baptized for dead people is not biblical. We just don't know exactly what Paul was talking about here or why he used that illustration. But uh, 
can't answer that one. So hardest, <laughs> was, hardest verse. <laughs> when I was in college, I took a class on First Corinthians, and the professor started the first day by saying, uh, "You guys can have an immediate A in this course if you answer this question." And it was First Corinthians fifteen twenty nine, and, yep. and we were all excited. And then we looked at the verse, and oh, guess we're going to have to go to class. So well, we haven't got that one figured out yet. No, we don't. All right, I'm going to ask Paul as soon as I get there. <laughs> Let me talk about a good way to study the Bible before we go on here. We're uh, always enjoy studying the Bible with you a little bit each week, but uh, we've got some Bible study materials that we think are a great way to study the Bible, and we've been offering it for years, and uh, we're going to offer it to you today. It's absolutely free of charge, no cost. We even pay the postage for you. Uh, all it takes from you is a little bit of your time, and you see some lessons on the screen here. There are eight of them in this first course, and great way to study the Bible. A uh, good basic introduction to the Bible, not a church creed or church uh, doctrine or anything in it. It's just Bible. So if you want to learn a little bit more about your Bible and maybe form a regular habit of Bible study, we think this is a good way to do it. So phone number, website on the screen anytime. Uh, use those. Just tell us you want that free course and we'll start sending them to you. And as long as you keep studying and returning them, uh, we'll keep sending them to you. Absolutely free of charge. Get started on that today. All right, Abel Cain specialist. We're going to rock back to Genesis 4. Since we didn't address 1 Corinthians 15 and get that answered, we're going to go back and uh, answer a simple question of why God. These are always fun to try. Uh, why did God choose Abel's sacrifice over Cain? So we just talked about that from Genesis chapter 4. And the very natural response when you're reading is, well, what was the difference between the two sacrifices? It seems like they were both giving uh, from what they were able to give and so forth. Why would God be displeased with one? Uh, if they were very sincere, uh, shouldn't it, God have accepted whatever they offered? And the answer to that is, for whatever reason, no, he didn't, uh, which is uh, is profound if we think about it that God does not accept every offering, and there was a reason for that. Now, Genesis chapter 4 does not tell us. Uh, we have to read into the text. We can look at Genesis 4 on the screen together, verses 3 through 5. Uh, in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, and Abel brought an offering fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favor. Okay, this is my interpretation of that text. As we read through the rest of the Old Testament and we look at the offering system under uh, the, the Mosaic, uh, law given through Moses and the worship requirements, uh, it's very clear that the sacrifices made under that system were to be of the firstborn, meaning you take the very first that you receive and you give to the Lord. Uh, Proverbs tells us that. Give to the Lord of the first fruits of your wealth. And what that does when you're giving of the first is because you don't know, like when you're giving with the flocks, you don't know what other animals will come later on. You don't know what comes after. But the first part belongs to God. It's showing a deep trust 
in the provision and the protection of God. Again, that's my interpretation. That's my commentary on the verse. The truth is the verse does not say. It just simply says that God looked on favor with Abel's, but he did not look on favor with Cain's. And I can tell you 100% that God made the absolute right, correct decision because he knew both of the brothers' hearts. He knew what they were bringing in worship. Uh, but the scripture doesn't tell us uh, what, why it was that God made the determination. We just can know and trust that when God made that decision, He made exactly the right decision. Now, for the application for us, let's read Hebrews <coughs> chapter 11, verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. And uh, that's why I was giving the interpretation as earlier, because I think Abel had a tremendous faith to give from the firstborn of his flock. Um, <clears throat> so the, the Bible tells us that we need to walk by faith and live by faith, and certainly that includes our, our worship time. We need to worship in faith as well. Okay. So. Good. Yeah. <clears throat> I was thinking as you answered that, that uh, people want to know well, exactly what do you have to do and yeah. do it. Was it this kind of sacrifice yeah. or that kind? It's a matter of the heart. Yep. Uh, yep. God told the Israelites one time who were doing exactly what He told them to do. Yep. They were making the right sacrifices and taking the right kind of lamb and yep. doing all that. And He said, I hate your solemn assemblies. Yep. I hate your sacrifices. Because they were doing it, but they weren't doing it yep. <laughs> from yep. the heart. So yep. uh, that's the main thing. Sure. Okay. Uh, tithing question. Viewer wants to know: Does the ten percent tithing, <coughs> excuse me, have to go to a church, or can it go to a needy person? Okay, let's clear up a little terminology first of all. Ten percent tithing is redundant. Tithing means ten percent. Now, the Old Testament people were commanded to tithe. The Israelites had to tithe uh, first ten percent of everything, and then they had some other taxes and dues that they had to pay too. Uh, but tithing means 10%. New Testament doesn't restrict us to 10%. doesn't give us a percentage that we have to give. But some people do call giving tithing and we understand that. So I think 10% is a good place to start, but uh, it doesn't mean you're limited to that. Okay, so with that out of the way, uh, does your giving, does your contribution have to go to a church or can it go to a needy person? Okay, uh, let me explain it this way. If you are part of a local congregation, uh, I think you should support that local congregation financially. Uh, some of your giving, uh, all of it if you want, uh, can go to that place, number one, because you receive benefits from it. Uh, a congregation has expenses. Uh, to give you a comfortable place to worship, uh, uh, provide the services that they do, uh, uh, maybe meals when you're sick or uh, a place to have a funeral or a wedding and all the things that a local congregation does, that costs money. Uh, if you go to join your local YMCA and say, I'd like the benefits of the YMCA, they say, okay, you can have the benefits, but it's going to cost you uh, $25 a month or something. Uh, we'll give you free towels, we'll do this, we'll do that, uh, we'll keep the heater and the air conditioner on and all that, and you've got to pay a little bit for that. So there's that level, but a congregation, a church goes beyond that level, and they're able to do good works together. 
that an individual couldn't do. Uh, I could not afford to send four or five missionaries around the world. Our congregation affords to do that uh, because we all take our money and put some of it together and we're able to have missionaries in different places. So uh, if you're a part of a local congregation, yes, some of your giving, all of it can go there. Now, does all of it have to go there? No. Uh, you can help needy people. You ought to. God says as often as we have an opportunity, uh, do good uh, to all men. So uh, if you see some other needs, give to that. That's fine. Uh, I like to think of it as above and beyond. I, I start with the basic contribution to church because of the things we can do together. Uh, and then as I grow in the grace of giving, uh, I'm able to help other people and contribute to other causes and other charities perhaps. Uh, I think that's fine. So, yes, you can give to as many people as you want. And always remember, you can't outgive God. So uh, he'll bless you for whatever you give. All right, let's uh, time to talk about a church, Church of Christ. Uh, we'd like to invite you to visit a Church of Christ near you sometime. The Churches of Christ keep us on the air, and we like to thank them. Uh, today, let's talk about the Burlington Church of Christ. If you're watching this program from the Rock Island Station up in the Quad Cities, uh, the Burlington Church of Christ is in your neighborhood, and there are partners in this program. Uh, help uh, keep us up on the air up there and attend uh, uh, to the correspondence courses and a number of things they do for us and we appreciate them. A great bunch of folks there. Uh, if you're looking for a church home and live in the area of Burlington, drop in and visit them sometime. Uh, I know you'd be warmly welcomed and you'd find some folks that uh, study the Bible a lot like we do here on the program. So we appreciate the Burlington uh, brothers and sisters and uh, all the Church of Christ that help us stay on the air. Uh, whatever market you're watching in, you can probably find a Church of Christ near you. Uh, either drop in and visit them or maybe you know a member that goes to the Church of Christ. Tell them, hey, I heard about you on Know Your Bible the other day and uh, I appreciate you keeping that program on for us. So visit the Church of Christ sometime. All right, Toby, what yeah. you got? Your uh, has a question about a specific verse. Acts chapter 11, verse 19 says, Peter spoke only to the Jews. Where does it say that the apostles had a ministry to the Gentiles? Okay, well, if you look at Acts chapter 11, verse 19, which we're going to look at right now on the screen, it doesn't exactly say that. It says, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. So he's talking, uh, Luke is reporting that the church there and those who were spread after the persecution uh, began to spread out and they were specifically delivering the message of the kingdom of God just to the Jewish people. Now when you read, verse, uh, as we say often on this program, a little bit of context will go a long way in helping us understand the scripture. When you read verses 1 through 19 and put you know, the first 18 verses in front of that, what what happens is the word is out. The word gets out that Gentiles, a group of Gentiles, has received the Holy Spirit, have been receiving God's word. Peter is criticized by his fellow Jews for uh, fellowshipping with those Gentiles. And Peter says, listen, hey, listen to me. I was praying in Joppa, and I saw a vision. And this vision, uh, basically, God told me three times, kill and eat, of these clean and unclean animals. And being a good Jew, I said, I, surely not I, Lord. I've never eaten anything unclean. And, and the voice says to him, uh, don't call that unclean which I have called clean. And he's realizing 
as as after the vision he sent to Caesarea to Cornelius's house Cornelius's house who is not Jewish he is a righteous god-fearing gentile and the spirit falls on he and his family and he realizes that the message of the kingdom of God is not just to the Jewish people, but the Gentiles are included. All the non-Jewish people are included in that uh, great gospel call as well. Uh, so the, when you look at the context, it helps us understand. Verse 18, just the verse before, says this. It's not on your screen, but you can read along. When they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Now we know when we look at the story that even Jesus and the apostles spoke the message of the kingdom uh, just to the Jewish people. When they started, it began in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. It was to the Jewish people, but then it began to spread to Judea and Samaria, Samaria and to all the ends of the earth is the message of the gospel. That it started with the Jewish people, with God's people, but it didn't stop there. It extended all the way to the Gentiles, which, by the way, is good news for us Gentiles. Uh, let's finish by looking at Romans chapter 1. And Paul wrote this concerning the gospel, verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And he was saying there that you know, this is the way the message was dispensed, first to the Jewish people and then to the Gentiles as well. Alrighty, thank you. Viewer wants to know why did God make the Israelites wander in the wilderness for 40 years? All right. First way to answer that is because they didn't trust Him. Uh, they didn't claim the promised land that He said He had given to them. So He said, This generation has to perish before you enter the promised land. Uh, so we're going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And after all, you people over if a certain age have died, then the youngsters get to claim the promised land. That's why. Second way to think about that is well, why did he make it such a harsh punishment? If you're asking that, all I can tell you is God knew their hearts. He knew exactly what he was doing, and he decided that was the proper punishment. Seems harsh to me, uh, but God knew what he was doing. Uh, another way to think about it is it's still a lesson for us today. Uh, sometimes we don't trust God. We do things that are wrong, and the consequences of that go on long beyond uh, our forgiveness. We can be forgiven for things, but we pay the consequences through this life. So maybe he was making a lesson for us also, but uh, did it because they didn't trust him. Yep. <laughs> I think we got time to squeeze one in quick. We'll do it. Uh, how could the resurrected Jesus move through walls when he said he wasn't a spirit? Well, the resurrection body of Jesus is, of course, a mystery because he, as we read the accounts of the gospel, understand that he is both physical and spiritual. There were times when he had the physical nature, he had the marks in his hands and his side. He was able to eat and drink. Uh, he was able to walk and talk. There were parts of the physical body that he still had, and yet there were things that he could do that most physical bodies can't do, spiritual bodies being able to move through and to make himself unrecognizable. He could pass through solid walls. He could mask his identity. He could appear out of nowhere. Uh, how that happened, how he was able to do it, that is a good question. And the answer to that is, I have no earthly idea. <laughs> and neither does anyone else, by the way. We don't know how that works. Uh, we don't know exactly what the resurrection body is going to look like, and nor exactly what res 
res the resurrection body of Jesus looked like and how it worked. We just know it was different. And the more important part is it was far better. And that gives us hope. So we look forward to that hope as well someday. So how it worked, we don't know. Okay, well, God can do miracles. So he absolutely he, he can. can do yep. And he did that with physical bodies. Yep. Philip evidently yep. was transported yep. away yep. from the eunuch position. So who knows? All right, let's make sure we get our trivia question answered today. And who was the son that Adam and Eve had to replace Abel when Abel was murdered? And the answer is Seth was his name. You can read about him in Genesis 4.25. God gave them a new son uh, after Abel died. We're glad you've been with us today and hope that uh, we got to some of your questions. Uh, we're going to be back trying to answer some more of them next week. So we hope that you come back to uh, see us then. Till then, you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.